Welcome one and all to episode 148. This is the first episode of our 2024 reading challenge. And remember that this wintry month of February is good for something. It's good for reading, good for being inside and curling up with a book. And so we get to celebrate I Love to Read Month this month. And we've chosen John Stott's little book, Why I Am a Christian, for this year's reading challenge. Yeah, and while I first read this book quite a number of years ago and have referenced it from time to time since then, when I picked it up again recently to read through for our reading challenge episodes, I so quickly got excited about it again, Micah. I love this book. It, it honestly makes me excited to be a Christian when I read this and start writes with such clarity and relevance. So I'm looking forward to February's episodes. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. I have not read it before, but I am in the process of reading it now, Matthew, to uh, prepare for these episodes. So um, I'm excited too. I love Stott. I love his style. I love his clarity. And uh, while we aren't going to have the opportunity to deal with every chapter of the book, since we're only devoting four episodes to the book, and, and it's a seven-chapter book, we can maybe still mention something about chapter one, what a neat chapter it is. And uh, I love that he borrows the title from Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. It is a great chapter, though I actually feel a little bit of sadness and regret when I read that chapter, Mike. Oh, why is that? Well, I was preaching the gospel with Dan Shutt in New Jersey for a couple of weeks years ago, and Dr. Sandy Higgins took us for a little tour around Philadelphia, and we were walking through the Reading Terminal Market, and there was a used bookstore stall, and I saw an old, old copy of Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. It's a very long poem, but there it was in book or booklet form. And don't tell me you left it on the shelf. <sighs> I looked it over. It wasn't cheap, and I didn't buy it. I should have. So that's my sense of regret. But I still enjoyed what Stott shared in chapter one concerning the Lord's pursuit of us to make us his own. Yeah, it is uh, an awesome poem. And um, there is, uh, I remember watching a, a movie adaptation of it, I think it was about 15 or 16 minutes long, with uh, some really excellent acting, and, and the whole poem is, is, uh, is given throughout that video, and it's definitely worth looking up. But our discussion today moves on from chapter 1 to chapter 2 of the book, which emphasizes the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, or as you've called today's episode, He is one of a kind. He is bold, He is humble. And he is both at the same time. He is one of a kind. And brothers and sisters, I want to use this first episode in the series to help us stand in awe again at the beauty and the uniqueness of our bold yet humble Savior. Well, that definitely sounds worth our time together today. And one thing I really appreciated about chapter 2, in which Stott is focused on the claims of Christ, is just how Christ-centered the chapter is. I mean, he, he makes really clear that that's what Christianity is all about. It's all about this person. And that's where I want to start the centrality of Christ. And brothers and sisters, it's very easy to get sort of lost in the busyness of life sometimes, even the busyness of serving the Lord. And we need to take a step back and refocus on Christ himself. It's actually easy to even participate in the Lord's Supper, to be involved in the spread of the gospel, even to read your Bible frequently, and to do all those things without a heart devotion for Christ. And we can shamefully too easily get used to hearing him preached and to hear nice things said about him in church and not bow our hearts in emotion-thrilling, spirit-inspiring, mind-arresting awe and wonder that this man 
died and rose for us and that we're linked to this man. But think of these words of the apostle in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Or again, Colossians 3.4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. For me to live is Christ. We want our Christian life to be all about Christ because he is the essence of the Christian faith. Amen. And I like how Stott brings out in the book uh, that, you know, while he acknowledges that there's plenty of bad stuff that has happened in the church down through the centuries and plenty of awful things done in the name of Christianity. And sadly, there's still things that take place today among Christians that, that we're embarrassed about. But what Stott says, we are not ashamed of Jesus Christ, who is the center and core of Christianity. And I rejoice in that so much that there is nothing in my Lord Jesus to be ashamed of. When I present Christ as a savior at times to a God-hating listener, I know I can do that with a 100% clear conscience in that there is nothing they can point to in Christ that I need to be ashamed of. And the thing is, and it's fascinating to me, rarely if ever do people say bad things about Jesus. I know they use his lovely name in bad ways, and I know there's plenty of criticism towards us who bear the name of Jesus Christ, but people don't often attack the person of Christ himself. And let's take heart in that. He is the one to whom we are pointing people, not ourselves, but to Christ. Yeah, how does Paul put it in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 4, I think it is? Um, we, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. And um, I just want to pick up on that, Matthew, for a moment, because I think it's so important in our gospel preaching and in our evangelistic witness that we consciously point people to the Lord and that we take time to talk about Christ, that we show the attractiveness of Christ to people, both to saint and to sinner. And while there is a sense in which someone in darkness isn't going to appreciate his beauty in the same way we, sh we should, there's another sense which we see on display in the scriptures in which sinners are attracted to Christ when they realize this is someone who can heal them. So I just want to emphasize that we need to make a big deal of Christ. Amen, because the scriptures certainly do. And I love Stott's comments on how Christ is not just the prophet, but he's the fulfillment of the prophecy. The scriptures testify about me, the Lord says in John 5.39 or 2 Corinthians 1.20. Every one of God's promises is yes in him. So he's not just a prophet, he's the fulfillment. He's not just the revealer, but he is the revelation. Think of Hebrews 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The point of that last statement is not just that Christ has spoken on behalf of God, but that Christ is the message. Or not just that God has revealed some doctrine to us by means of his Son, but God has revealed himself in his Son. I recall listening to a recording of... D.A. Carson talking about, I think he was talking about John chapter 1, the Lord Jesus as the incarnate word. And he was drawing a contrast with Islam. And he said, it might, it might take a little bit of time, but if you were talking with uh, a Muslim, you should be able to get him to acknowledge at some point that Muhammad is not essential to the revelation of the Quran. He is the one, they say, that God has chosen to be the revealer of the Quran, but it could have been somebody else. It just so happened to be Muhammad. 
But with Christianity, it's different. It's not just that Christ has been uh, chosen to give a revelation, but that he himself is the revelation. He is inseparable from it. He is the revealer and the revelation. Christianity is all about Christ. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, 1 John 5.11. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Those First John scriptures especially uh, really serve to emphasize to us that our ability to enjoy our Christian life is going to be a function of our enjoyment of exactly. Christ. So, how are we doing on that, brothers and sisters? I think this is one of the blessings of spending time reading the gospel accounts. Christ is in all the scriptures, 100%, of course he is, and we just heard him say that in John chapter 5. But there's something about the availability of Christ to us in the gospel accounts. Look at how he handles people in the gospels. Look at how uh, look at how people react to him in the Gospels. Notice how the disciples are in awe of him, like in Matthew 8 when he calms the sea and they say, what kind of man is this? He is one of a kind. Hmm. Yeah, we just spent a, a whole weekend, Matthew, doing a discipleship weekend and looking at Mark's Gospel, but in particular, just the feeding of the 5,000. And um, yeah, the conclusion is he is one of a kind, and, and you're right, uh, the Gospels are so valuable and just helping us to see what our Lord is like and enjoy communion with Him. And this means that we really need to pay attention to what Christ says. I mean, this is a big point that Stott's making in chapter 2. He's drawing our attention to the claims of Christ, and I think that's where you're going next, Matthew. Yeah, thanks for pushing me along. So first, the centrality of Christ. Let's point people to Him in our gospel witness and learn and relearn the need to come back to Him in the gospels and be in heart-enthralling, worship-inspiring awe. Secondly, the boldness of Christ's claims. Stott really emphasizes the Lord's regular practice of calling people to himself and telling them what he will do for them. Here's an example from the book. This prominence of the personal pronoun, I, 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 me, 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 is very disturbing, especially in one who declared humility to be the preeminent virtue. It also sets Jesus apart from all the other religious leaders of the world. They efface themselves, pointing away from themselves to the truth they taught. Jesus advanced himself, offering himself to his disciples as the object of their faith, love, and obedience. He told his followers to make him their first love, Matthew 10, more than their closest relatives. He made himself the central figure on the day of judgment. These are breathtaking claims. We cannot dress Jesus up as a nice, harmless little teacher of ethical platitudes, end quote. Well, those are breathtaking claims, and we want you, brothers and sisters, to get a sense of that today, too. You know, don't just glance over these things. We, we mustn't get used to the fantastic things that Christ has said. His I am statements are, are classic examples. You know, the seven main ones that we speak of in John's gospel, there are hidden ones as well. But seven main ones, and just think about a couple of those. He, he said, I am the bread of life, John 6. The Lord Jesus is saying, you can't live without me. Or in John 14, he famously says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No, all religions don't lead to God. Jesus is the only way. And our point today is, don't be ashamed or embarrassed by that exclusiveness of Christ, because he is speaking truth. Yeah, don't be ashamed of it. Not only that embrace it and love it and be thankful that Christ can back it up. But uh, let's not give the idea that the Lord Jesus was an arrogant, 
egotistical man. Of course, he wasn't. He is a humble man. And this is the beautiful, awesome thing about Christ. As Stott says, it is the combination of egocentricity and humility that is so startling. Now, I'm not sure I would have used the word egocentricity because in my mind that does sound a little bit negative, but Stott is just referring to how Christ is drawing attention to himself, and yet no one can deny that he is beautifully humble. Take, for example, that lovely text of Matthew 11. Uh, Stott will key in on that at the end of his book, verses 28-29, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So there's another text where Christ is calling people to himself, come to me. But notice how he describes himself. I don't know if there's another text, I don't think there is, where the Lord describes his own heart, but he does here. I am lowly and humble. Or maybe you're accustomed to the King James wording, I am meek and lowly. It's not a normal way of describing oneself. Like if you met someone and they said, Hi, I'm Bob and I'm a humble person. Uh, and if we were to respond to that person and say, Well, it's, it's nice to know you're humble at least. Tell me, you know, what, what's your mission in life? Well, the Lord could reply to that, Well, I've come to save the world. I'm a humble man and I've come to save the world. It's not how we'd expect a humble person to talk. It's bold. And yet the Lord's demeanor and behavior throughout the gospel show us he is humble. And uniquely, he could boldly speak of his own humble character. It's remarkable. Mm -hmm. Sure is, yeah. I love that line in the book where Stott says, you know, there is no dichotomy between his character and his claims. That is something that is always just so refreshing about our Lord. He preached grace and truth. He lived grace and truth. He claimed that he would satisfy people's hearts, and he has. He satisfied the hearts of millions and millions of people. It just emphasizes that we have nothing to be ashamed of in being a Christian, a Christ follower, because we're following this one-of-a-kind Savior, the man Christ yeah. Jesus. So the best part of Christianity is Christ. Beloved brothers and sisters, as you're listening right now, do you need, like I sometimes need, a reminder to come back to your first love? Has the living out of your faith become a bit dutiful? Maybe your times of worship have become a bit too ritualistic or just too ordinary. Well, Mike and I know what that's like, and we also know that it doesn't need to stay that way. Consider coming back to one of the Gospels, listening to the words of the Lord Jesus, meditating upon what he says, and try and recapture the wonder that a real man said these amazing things. It's important to wonder because when we cease to wonder, we cease to worship. And you're saying that there's so much to wonder uh, about regarding exactly. Christ. And there's no other man that we should worship, of course. The Lord Jesus is one of a kind. Uh, let's finish by highlighting that for a moment then, the centrality of Christ. Secondly, the boldness of Christ claims. Lastly, the singularity of Christ. Well, he is uniquely the Son of God. All believers are sons of God in one sense, but he is the son in a unique way. He's the singular son, the unique son. But that makes me want to ask you about one thing Stott said in chapter 2, Matthew. He, he says some lovely things about the Lord Jesus, introducing us to the word Abba as a way to speak to God. But he says, and, and here I quote, he says, We also know that his intimate relationship with the Father continued throughout his life, even through his sufferings, except, Stott says, except for that horrendous moment of God-forsakenness on the cross, end quote. What do you think 
Stott means there. I'd like to ask him what exactly he means there. Um, well, I've spoken of admiring his writings. That, that's another statement that I don't know if I would have written it that way. Now, Stott isn't saying that Jesus ceased to be God's son. That's impossible. But he's saying, I take it, that the intimacy of that father-son relationship was... I don't know, compromised or clouded in that cry from the cross. And I don't know if I'd even say that, but to be fair, I'm not sure what I'd say. I'm not sure how best to explain the mystery of all that transpired in the darkness. And the fascinating aspect that his other cries from the cross use Father, but in that one he speaks of my God. Obviously, I know he's quoting Psalm 22, but there's something purposeful in that too. So obviously something awful transpired. He was forsaken of God. Uh, I just maybe wouldn't have used the words that Stott used. What would you say, Mike? <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Um, on one level, you want to communicate um, just to help people, right? To communicate something about what Christ went through, what it meant for him to to be in those dark hours and, and be experiencing the wrath of God upon himself for our sake. And yet, at the same time, you don't want to say anything that um, that the Bible doesn't fully support. And uh, I just... I just sometimes have to cover my mouth here at this point. But I do notice in Psalm 22, it begins with, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet by the end of the Psalm, you find out that he, he's not forsaken. Um, so did it feel he was forsaken? I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know exactly how to say it, Matthew. Yeah. So that, that makes me hesitant to criticize others who say things. But again, maybe it's a time we shouldn't say so much. Maybe that's your point. And, but what, one of the things we do need to take from that scene is that because the Lord Jesus knew greater intimacy with the Father than we have known, the pain of his being abandoned by his God would be all the greater too. It, it was real suffering. But uh, I know you'll be taking us to the cross more next week on next week episode, Mike. And what made his cross death unique is the uniqueness of the person on that cross. And I love this quote from Stott, Jesus put himself in a moral category in which he was alone. Everybody else was in darkness. He was the light of the world. Everybody else was sinful. He could forgive their sins. It's amazing. It's beautiful. This humble, lamb-like, gentle, lowly man can tell everyone truthfully that there's no one like him, that everyone else is condemned, but he can set them free. So friends, we want to encourage you to Come to Christ again to find your rest in Him, to rejoice in His lowliness, to learn, to have your soul thrilled again by the wonder of His words, the uniqueness of His worth, and to remember that the best part of your Christianity is Christ. Embrace His uniqueness, rejoice in that, and showcase Him to a lost world. Oh man, yeah, Christianity is Christ, right? It's all about Christ. And I remember, I don't know, probably over a year ago, reading through Revelation 5 when it, it just suddenly dawned on me, all of heaven is looking at Christ. You know, the Father's eyes are on Christ. And these heaven beings, they're all, they're, their eyes are glued to Christ. And uh, and so if the Father and if the uh, heaven beings are, are all focused on Him, well, why wouldn't we now to um, do the same and get our eyes right on Him? Amen. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. We uh, hope you'll continue to read along with us through Stott's book, and uh, we look forward to having you with us again for the next episode. May the Lord bless you all. Mm -hmm.